I want to take us to Psalm 23 today. Before I get started, I want to give another preface. Is that all right with everybody? Um, Today, I'm going to mention uh, some issues, some experiences that, statistically speaking, are covered in a multitude within this room today. And I know for some of us, maybe uh, how we do things, we speak very frankly to things around here at the well. So this is new for you. Uh, I I want to just let you know that everything that I'm going to say today, deal with today, uh, I want you to understand the spirit in which I'm trying to deal with it. Um, In no way am I trying to make light of it, be flippant about it. Um, I know for some of you today, you may leave this service um, because we touched on some really personal issues today. So if you can give me the space to speak to these things. I want to do so with much, as much humility and tact as possible. But I think, I think and I believe that many things just need to be named and said out loud. Y'all with me? Sometimes to find the healing that we're looking for, we've got to bring it out of the dark. Some of us want the healing, but we don't want to face it. And so that's what we're going to do today is we're going to face some stuff. So Psalm chapter 23 that's where we're going to find ourselves, verse 1 to verse 6. It's going to be our text today. I want you to listen to the psalmist here. Many of you have heard this before, but maybe haven't focused on the part we're going to focus on today. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's beautiful right there. That's where we really stop. Most of us were like, yeah, I shall not want. Come on. Amen. <laughs> he makes me lie down in green pastures. Yeah. We love that part. That's so beautiful. He leads me beside still waters. But I want you, to, want you to hear verse three, 3, because we scan over it sometimes. But listen to what he says. He says, he restores my soul. Yeah. Now, the only reason that the psalmist would have to write this is that there's another side to his soul. Yeah. And that would be a unrestored soul. Yeah. How many of you agree with me? If the psalmist is saying he restores my soul, it means that he's bringing it back from someplace. Yeah. And that someplace is probably not the best of places. It's, it's probably a place that's maybe a little dark and, and, and weary and wounded as we've been talking about. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesakes. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah. What a psalm. And it's, it's bookended, though. There's, there's this intro that says, man, God is good. And this outro that says, God is good. But this middle section that says he restores my soul. Meaning that there's issues that are going on within me. So today, as we continue on in our series, Shadows in the Light, I want to speak to you from the subject, Walking with the Wounded. As we deal with the issue of wounded souls that produce and what they produce in our lives because of them. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's active and it's powerful and has the ability to change us. And God, I pray today that your word would do the surgical stuff we need done in our lives. And so God, today with, with faith, we open ourselves up, we expose ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our wills, our emotions, and ultimately our soul, we expose it to the ointment of your word. And so God, I pray that you would just put it on the right places today as you so graciously and sovereignly do. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. And everybody shouted. I grew up in the 90s. I'm gonna date myself. And for those of you who are younger in the room today, Okay, just hear me. I'm about to give an illustration that's going to date me, and you're going to be like, who are they? You need to do some research on your music, okay? I'm just saying that out the gate. But the reason I've got to use an older, like an older, I'm going to talk to you about a song in just a minute, but the reason I have to do this is because I don't listen to much today, okay? Um, I'm stuck in the 90s. It was the, it was the era of grunge rock. Come on, somebody. Holy jeans, flannel t-shirts, chucks. Technically speaking, what the kids are wearing today, we wore then. <laughs> Let's just be honest about that, all right? It all, it all comes around. Um, you know, it's interesting about the, that generation. It was a generation of angst, right? I mean, we, we listened to bands like Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and Rage Against the Machine and Nirvana. 
Some of you are like, who are they? I'll pray for you after service. Um, but there, there, was a, there was an air about that, that generation. We were angsty and, and we were rebellious and, and we were independent. Many of us were latchkey kids. And so for a lot of us, we took refuge in our music. Come on, how many of you agree with me that it's something that every generation has done? They, they've taken refuge in their, in their How many of you have taken refuge in your music before? All right. Okay. And the reason that we do it is because musicians are really the poets of our day now. They say things that many of us are unwilling to say. And then they put it to music so it softens the blow of that truth. And here's what we have to recognize. I know that for some of us, we look at the lyrics of songs and we're like, my goodness, how are they saying some of those things? And outside the crazy stuff that doesn't make sense anymore, right? And it's only for shock value. If you go back to a lot of songs, they were poetic in nature. They were exposing, they were lamenting certain things. They were the Psalms of a generation. Y'all with me still? So I came across one of those songs the other day as I listened to the words, um, I was sitting out in my backyard and the song came on from one of my favorite bands and I still listen to them today. And it reminded me of the truth that, that we're gonna be working through today, that we have wounded souls. This is the song by Third Eye Blind. Some of you are like, is he about to crack a joke? No, listen to the words. This is a song by Third Eye Blind and it's called Wounded. I want you to hear what, what he writes. He says, the guy who put his hands on you has got nothing to do with me. And the bruises that you feel will heal. And I hope you'll come around because we're missing you. You used to speak so easy. Now you're afraid to talk to me. It's like walking with the wounded. Carrying that weight way too far Concrete pulled you down so hard, out there with the wounded, missing you. Here the singer Stephen Jenkins describes the relationship between him and his female friend or otherwise, and the response that she has to him because of the wounds that she is carrying, and rightfully so. Her wounds are traumatic, they're violent in nature, they're leaving both physical and non-physical wounds. This hurt, these wounds that she has, they play out not just in her physical self, but also in her soul. See, this song highlights the change in her behaviors, her thinking, how she interacts, the places that she goes and does not go now. The song highlights the things that she says and does not say all because she's dealing with wounds. See, here's the truth that we need to recognize today is that wounds are deeper than the bruises on her body. As if they weren't bad enough to have bruises and lacerations caused by some sort of physical abuse. How many of you would recognize today that something like that is deeper than just the physical reality that she's dealing with? Now, whether this is a non-fictional song or a fictional song doesn't matter at this point because the tone and, and the trajectory of these words are very real to a lot of us today. Yeah. See, wounds are often deeper than we think. Wounds are often much more critical than we realize, especially when they are located within the soul. See, a wounded soul produces deeper emotions, emotions that many of us have not even been equipped to face and to deal with because the soul impacts our emotions. Where there is deep woundedness, we typically see great emotional issues rather than steadiness. How many of you are with me today? This would be seen in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 81, or excuse me, 88, verse one, it says this, Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to shale. Once again, from an unknown author in Psalm 42, verse one, we read, it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, you've heard this before. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. 
And while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Here's what I love about the Psalms is that the Psalms put words to things that many of us are experiencing and we don't know how to say it because the emotion's too vast, it's too big, it's unrecognized, and for many of us, we just don't want to touch it. See, for many of us, it's easier to keep being a walking wounded person than it is to face the thing that's inside of us. But he, he, he relents, he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. Then he'll say it again, my my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. And then he'll get to verse 11, he'll say, why are you you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Dallas Willard in describing the soul and its purpose and function writes this, the soul is perhaps like a permeable membrane in a biological organism, which is designed to allow passage of some, but not all foreign objects. When that wall is broken, individuals are at the mercy of forces they cannot handle. In other words, as we talked about last week, if this is our soul, this net represents our soul, and it's keeping our mind, our will, and our emotions integrated intact, it's kind of like a filtration system. It has the ability to allow things in that that are okay to get in, and maybe it doesn't doesn't stop everything but the little things, but for many of us, we've got massive gaps in here. This, This net right here has been torn to shreds, and if I were to take a pair of scissors and cut this, that represents many of our souls, and we wonder why our mind and our will and our emotions are everywhere. It's a filtration system. Many of us are engaging in the game of life unprepared at a soul level to experience what we are and will experience in life. Many of us are playing the game of life with a soul incapable of filtering the offense and the rejection and the hurt and the pain and the words and the actions and the injustice and the unfairness and the darkness and the temptation and the grief and the loss and the incongruence of the world that we exist in. Think about that. That's all in our world right now. And we walk around. You ever noticed that before? How many of you agree with me? That's a lot to face on a daily basis. Let me, just, let me just tell you what the world looks like again. Filtering offense. Come on, how many of us have been there before? Rejection, hurt, pain, words, actions, injustice, unfairness, darkness, temptation, grief, loss, and incongruence. Everywhere. And we step out every single day and we put our souls at the mercy of that stuff. And so we need them intact more than ever if we're going to wander through this life. Doing what God has called us to do. Now, if we're honest, being told that our soul is wrecked and ruined is an offensive proposition, isn't it? Not many of us like to be told that. Some of you don't like me right now. You're like, when's this service over? See, we don't like to be told that there's something wrong with us, right? Especially those of us who would call ourselves accomplished, articulate, social, educated, and generally advanced in certain areas of our life, and just specifically, awesome. (laughs) No one likes to be told that. You're like, I don't know if you know me, but I'm kind of awesome. (laughs) The truth is, is that one of the greatest reasons that we do do not like to deal with the woundedness of our soul is that we pride ourselves on having it all together. See, it's easy to judge those whose lives are actively falling apart. But it's a lot more difficult to assess someone walking while they're wounded. Or maybe better put, a functioning wounded person. Much like a functioning alcoholic or drug addict. And that's how a lot of us wander through life is that we are functioning wounded people. We found different ways to prop that area up and make sure that no, that area doesn't get exposed. And we spend a lot of time and we spend a lot of effort making sure that the proximity that we've put up around ourselves, the barrier, that no one breaches it. So if someone gets too close, we demonize them so that we can justify pushing them away from us. Or, or if a situation gets too intimate, then it's like, whoa, no, here. And we spend our lives walking while wounded functioning, no one would get it because I put the awesome sauce on today. 
Come on, how many of you put the awesome sauce on in the morning? You just like, right, a little sprinkle of awesome, out to the day. Let's go. We look in the mirror and we say, buck it up, come on. Right? Today's going to, have you ever done this? You self-talk your way through. Today's going to be a good day. Now listen, there's not, there's not anything wrong with like, like saying that. That's what David was saying. He's like, hey, oh soul, hey, soul, yeah. get up. But notice he did that after he gave his soul to God. And he said, God, I, I, I need you to know. I know you know, but I need you to see me knowing that you know, that I know, so we know that my soul's a no-no. <laughs> Honestly, this is the space that many of us operate in. We've gotten pretty efficient at covering up, faking it, projecting, moving through life in such a way that would convince others and even ourselves that we're okay. But the truth is that we are wounded and the sooner that we acknowledge it, the sooner we can heal. Can I say this to somebody today that needs to hear this? You do not have to be a walking wounded person. I mean, we carry wounds all the time. But hopefully you hear the division that I'm making. There's a difference between walking wounded and subjecting myself to Jesus versus walking wounded, propped up, making sure that I'm functioning so nobody can see everything and, or anything and believe that God doesn't see it either. So here's a question we must ask and look at. What wounds the soul? See, many different things cause the wounded soul. My attempt today is to distill the vast nature of these issues down to a few more observed, shared, and general experiences across all of our lives today, okay? And this is where, for some of us, it may, may get very personal, so just stay looking at me, okay? Uh, I'm going to work not to crack jokes about this. There's, there's one in here, but... <laughs> so let, let's look at a few, a few causes of wounds. The, the first area is traumatic childhood experiences. <clears throat> now, let me say this. I'm going to pause. I'm a pastor, not a counselor. Okay? So my job today is to wander through scripture with us. I'm, I'm in no way trying to counsel you or, or bring therapy to this. I'm not bringing any of that stuff to the table. I'm bringing the Bible to the table today. Okay? But here's some causes of soul wounds that we can see. Traumatic childhood experiences. This would look like car accidents, school incidences, prom. <laughs> that was the joke. <laughs> Difficult friendships, abuse. Abandonment, divorce, sexual issues, and sexual experiences. Here's the second area that we see wounds of the soul caused, wounds of influence and authority. These would be mentors, parents, bosses, spiritual leaders, teachers, coaches, Here's the third area, relational woundedness. These are wounds that are developed in various relationships. If I want to scale of one to 10, they could sit at one and some of them being 10, just out, out, outrageous. Divorce, breakups, betrayal, gossip. Here's the fourth area, wounds of perpetration. These wounds are big, they're hard. Rape. Assault, racism, bullying, neglect. These are things that are done to you. Y'all with me? But then there's another area that many of us don't talk about. We have to bring to the light is woundedness of self or sin. Self-inflicted wounds. This is an important one to examine because the impact of sin is often skirted around and minimized in our lives and our souls. You see, there's a, a difference in talking about the wounds that we have suffered, they've been done to us, versus talking about the evil that is in us and the wounds that we've caused to ourselves. Concerning this issue, listen to what Dallas Willard writes. He says, our social and psychological stand help, help, or our social and psychological stand helpless before the terrible things done by human beings. But the warpness and wrongness of the human will is something we cannot admit into serious conversation within the world that we live. 
We are like farmers who diligently plant crops but cannot admit the existence of weeds and insects and can only think to pour more fertilizer on it. In other words, he's saying is that we have a tendency to cast all the blame and never take responsibility for this area of woundedness in our lives. See, we've got to face this thing. And the reason that I'm spending more time on it, a lengthier amount of time on it, is because it's much easier to actually, like, please hear me my heart when I say this, it's much easier to deal with the things that have been done to us than to self-actualize and go, I've done some stuff to myself. And I, and I totally get that. I've got a laundry list of things that I can blame on people. Right? Come on, how many of you have that list? Let's just be therapy and church day. No one wants to lift their hands right now. Come on, how many of you know, like, I've got some things in my life that I can blame on people. We all, we all have that. But how many of us have written down the list that I can blame on myself? And go like, oh, I did that. Listen to how Paul the Apostle would put it when writing to the Ephesian church and Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 says, therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They were darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. Here's what we end up doing. We end up using the woundedness done to us to justify the woundedness done through us. Can we go there today? Is that all right, church? Like I said, we're going to talk about some hard things. Next weekend, everybody shout next weekend. We're going to talk about a hit. five of you. are like, I don't know if I'm coming back. Um, <laughs> next weekend, we're going to talk about how we restore healing to the soul. Today is going to leave us in some tension, but we have to, we have to face it. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, we're facing it. What happens is when we become the curator, if we do this, if we, if we live this type of life, we end up becoming the curator of our own broken cycles, shame and destruction. And we do this in the name of the wounds that we received, failing to realize that we are one of the greatest perpetrators against ourselves. Here's the truth that I want us to hear today. We can't always help what is done to us, but we can help what happens through us. The fourth century priest, Crematius of Aquila, once said, the wounds and the passion of the Lord were the remedy that healed humanity. In fact, illness of the soul are not healed by the medical arts, but only by the grace of Christ. The fever of sin and the wounds of guilt are sickness of the soul, which do not enter the body from the outside, but from within the soul. These wounds of the soul are not healed by human beings, but by God, not by the incision of an earthly knife, but by the sword of the divine word that penetrates into the depths of the soul. It's a fourth century priest. See, the ruined soul is to only be healed in and through Jesus. Is there an amen in church today? But how do we know? That's the question I've been asking myself. How do I know if my, if I've been pouring awesome sauce on myself for the past few years, how do I know something really going, how do I know if I have a wrecked and ruined soul? So I want to look at some indicators today. We got to points this week, guys. Some indicators that we may be dealing with a soul that has gone without care and is on the verge of ruin or in a place of significant woundedness. Y'all ready? Here's the first thing. Write it down. Number one. Every shot. Number one. First indicator is a ruined soul develops cynical eyes. A ruined soul develops cynical eyes. We got quiet in church today. A ruined soul develops cynical eyes. I believe cynicism is one of the greatest enemies of each of us individually and the body of Christ corporately right now. It's not culture. It's not sin. And I definitely do not believe it's the devil because he's been defeated. But isn't it interesting that the church still freaks out about those things? We're, we're wilding out because we, we think culture's changing so much. And it's, yeah, that, that's like scary. There's some things going on. We should deal with it for sure. But that's not the greatest enemy to the church. The devil is not the greatest enemy to the church. He's an annoying gnat. But he's been defeated. So that's why I say, I say gnat. One of the greatest enemies to the church actually comes from with the inside, from the inside of the church. And that it's is it's people 
developing cynical eyes because of wounded souls. In the dictionary, we are told the definition of cynical is this. Listen, believing that people are motivated purely by self-interest, we're distrustful of human sincerity, and we are distrustful of, in, of integrity. That's the definition of cynicism. And sure, I get it. Some people are generally driven by self-interest and, and, and have a nefarious will. But having cynical eyes produced by a ruined soul causes one to see everyone and everything through this lens. How many of you have heard of jaundice before? In a limited but succinct definition of jaundice, we are told, and I quote, jaundice is caused by the buildup of a substance called bilirubin. If I said that wrong, you're a nurse or a doctor, talk to me afterwards, okay? <laughs> bilirubin in your blood. When an adult becomes jaundiced, it can be a sign of more serious underlying conditions. Jaundice is usually a symptom of liver disease. This happens because your damaged liver cells cannot produce this stuff. The bilirubin goes into your blood causing jaundice. Listen to this. One tale, telltale sign of jaundice is the discoloring of eyes. How many of you have seen this before? They go yellowish in, in nature. I believe this to be the same with our souls. Some of us are dealing with spiritual jaundice because we have wounded souls and we have not dealt with them. And we've gotten cynical. See, when our soul is wounded and frail and in disarray, it begins to color and shade our eyes in a way that stops us from seeing things as we should. Listen to how Jesus comments on this. Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? See, there's a connection between our, our souls and how we see things, our perspective and what we are constantly looking for. Cynical eyes are constantly looking for what it is that they need to see in order to affirm their cynicism. Am I talking to anybody in church today? So we go, we look for it because we have cynical eyes and, and every action and every word and every interaction is developed through and judged by and worked with cynical eyes. I'm fascinated by those who constantly find themselves in drama and dysfunction. You ever said that before? Man, everywhere. This is how it sounds. I'm just a step on toes today. This is how it sounds. Man, people are just messed up. Everywhere I go, everybody is so messed up. And I'm like, everywhere you go. We got to look at a common denominator here. I mean, you got some jaundice going on. They have the ability to see everything that is wrong with everything. You ever met that person before who has the cynical eye? Everybody look forward. Don't look at your neighbor. Everything is bad. Everyone is bad. Every person is out to get them. Right? They're the ones that walk into an ice cream shop. 31 flavors. All of them are bad. You ever met that person? We need to leave. They don't have anything I like here. See, there's a connection between our souls and how we see things, our perspective. Let's push it a little bit further. I humbly submit these to you today. Every man is bad. Every woman is bad. Every leader and authoritative figure is bad. Every boss and upline, bad. And they'll never be able to win with you because you will never allow them to win with you. Systems are bad. Structures are bad. We see this in the body of Christ right now, more so than we've honestly ever seen it before. Cynical eyes see every person, everything negatively, slanted through jaundice-colored glasses. Now again, this is not to dismiss the instances where this, the wounds that are there, they've happened, I get it. But do y'all see what I'm trying to talk about? I'm trying to, I'm trying to help us assess Oh, some of you right now are going, wow, that, that's me. I hope you are brave enough and bold enough to write down on your paper today, wounded souls develop cynical eyes, and that's me. 
If you are so brave enough to do so, God will meet you right in that place. He will administer the ointment necessary to bring healing to that place of you. Now, are people bad? Yes. Can we admit that today? People, people do dumb things. I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring, we've been pastoring for 20 years. We've heard some wild stuff. Nothing surprises me anymore. Now, it'd be really easy for me to get cynical as well. Y'all see what I'm talking about? I've sat in offices and in conversations where I've seen the worst of humanity played out. And every single day, if I'm honest with you, I'm just transparent. I have every opportunity every single day because of the experiences that I've gone through as well to develop cynical eyes. So I got to take my soul to the shepherd and overseer of my soul. We're going to talk about that later on in this series. So I'm not dismissing the abuse. I'm not dismissing the stuff. I'm not dismissing the wounds. I'm just simply saying this is what happens when we allow these wounds to play out in our lives. Um, Philippians chapter 1. In his letter to the Philippians, I believe that Paul the Apostle gives us a master class in dealing with this issue, the issue of cynicism. Listen to what he writes. Like I said, we're going to the Bible today. Philippians 1, starting in verse 12, says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually advanced the gospel. He's writing in prison right now. So that it has become known throughout the world, the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment. Imagine being Paul and writing that assessment. Now that I'm in jail, people got bold. Fantastic. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. If I'm Paul, I'm sitting there going, really? It took my imprisonment to get you guys emboldened? Awesome. To be sure. Now he's dealing with an issue that had come up amongst the brothers as they were assessing why the motive behind people doing things. He said, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I'm anointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Check this out. Paul is saying to them, he's like, listen, these people are preaching Jesus to make me mad. These people are running around saying things. They don't love Jesus. They're doing it out of selfish gain. They're doing it because they want to see me wounded even more. Verse 18, listen to the question he asks. This is, why, this is why studying scripture is so important. What does it matter? Oh, in this generation, we would tweet about it. We, had, it. we would talk about all the reasons why it matters. To Paul, listen to what he says. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed and in this I rejoice. Wait a second. Hold on, Paul. Let me, let me get this straight. You're saying people can do things out of bad motives and God is still sovereign. Yep. But what's really interesting is that we allow people to be sovereign and God to be subject to that. That's cynicism. Paul's saying, I refuse to be cynical about this because I trust Jesus. And he'll go on to prove it, Philippians 4, verses 8 through 10. I love this. This is the happy verse. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and see in me and the God of peace will be with you. He's saying, listen, church, don't get cynical eyes. Don't allow the wounds of your soul to produce jaundice in your spirit. Don't allow yourself to get cynical because cynicism will lead you down a dark path. You will hate people. You will be embittered towards people. You will hate yourself. You will see everybody and everything as evil. And you will never have peace because cynical people can't find peace because they've got to have a battle everywhere they go. Right. Got three over here. Okay. <laughs> Focus on these things. If you're taking notes today, write this down. It's a simple point. 
refuse to be cynical. We're refusing to be cynical. Number two, everybody shout number two. A ruined soul develops a restless heart. In his work, Confessions, the great theologian, St. Augustine of Hippo, or as most of us know him as Augustine, writes about what he would define as his restless heart. While a devoted Christian mother raised Augustine, he would spend over a decade participating in what would be best described as a heretical offshoot of the Christian faith. In what would be even more described as a crisis of faith, Augustine would be confronted with the truth of Scripture, which would culminate in his baptism in 387 by Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan. He would return to his place of birth and heritage, North Africa, where he would be Bishop of Hippo until his death in 430. Speaking to the woundedness of his soul and the restlessness of his heart, this is what Augustine would write. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. See, we do not have to look far across the landscape of humanity to see a hyper-obsessed, chronically tired, chemically dependent collection of people who with weary eyes are looking for that next thing to help them appease the restlessness of their heart. The restless heart is the heart that cannot find stillness and peace. It is the heart that is constantly trying to fill a void, a hole, if you will. It's the heart that can't settle. It's the heart that's distracted. It's the heart that has no allegiances. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus writes this. He says on that, Jesus says this, on that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Y'all with me still this morning? Is this all right with everybody? And he told them many things in parables saying, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell among the path. Birds of the air came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. Someone shout good ground. ground. And it produced fruit. Jesus is going to go on to explain the parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. This is what he says. Now the the one sown among the thorns, listen to this, listen to his words. This is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So Jesus defines what's happening in many of our hearts. And for some of us, yeah, we don't deal with cynical eyes, right? You, you are a Lego figure from that movie. Everything is awesome. You see every person as awesome. You see every situation as great. So yeah, awesome. You don't have cynical eyes today, but maybe you have a restless heart. Distracted, unstable, easily enticed is how a restless heart can be described. The fact of the matter is that the world is built and designed in such a way that for those with a restless heart, stability and focus are vastly difficult. This is not ADHD. This is a restless heart. Maybe put it this way. It's restless heart syndrome. I want you to hear this. Let's take a cultural, let's take the temperature of the culture. Banker Paul Mazur of the Lehman Brothers Corp is famously quoted saying, this is a long, long time ago, about the 30s, I think it was. Listen to what he says. We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things even before the old old had been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. This is a banker for the Lehman Corporation. Consumerism. During this cultural renovation that was taking place, which has put us on the trajectory that we are currently on now as our culture, this is what President Hoover at the time 
would be quoted as he's lauding this new era and the group of advertisers and public relations men that were forming this reality. He would be quoted saying this, you have taken over the job of creating desire and have transformed people into constantly moving happiness machines. Listen to what he says, machines which have become the key to economic progress. You and I are machines in the world that we live in. We're a commodity that's enticed. Listen, I'm not a pessimistic person, but if we're gonna be intellectually honest today, we have to stop and recognize that culture, society, and, con and consumerism have found a way to monetize the wrecked nature of our souls and capitalize on the subsequent restlessness of our hearts. How do we monetize the brokenness of their souls? And we did it. And then we created an app for it. <laughs> Come on, somebody. How many of you agree with me? There's an app for everything. Now there's an app for the attention of your soul. And the more wrecked and ruined that our soul is, man, the more restless our heart gets. I, I need, I need this. Right? And, 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 I, and I want this, and, and I'm, I, I can't make a commitment because something better might come along. Yeah. Some of you ladies will not sign up for Tribe One Night because you're waiting for the Friday invite. Yeah. It's on Wednesday, so wait for your Friday invite. <laughs> These are symptoms of a culture that's not at home in Jesus. They're symptoms of a culture that has a restless heart. This is why Jesus would say in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? See, a restless heart worries about more than it should. And that's because a restless heart is governed by a ruined and wrecked soul. I'm going to go really fast on this one because it's pretty self-explanatory. Number three, but shot number three. A ruined soul outsources its resource. If you go back to Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, this is what we read last week. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. See, outside of Jesus telling us that in him we find rest for our souls, this piece of scripture deals with the resourcing of our lives. Simply put, if you and I aren't careful, our wounded soul will cause us to look for resourcing that is outside of Christ, outside of us, rather than finding it in Jesus. Here's the question. I have a question for this one. Write this down if you're taking notes today. Where are you finding the resource for your life? Dallas Willard says this, desire is infinite partly because we were made by God made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all of our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite still remains. Have you ever seen that before? Yeah. Felt that before? But it's displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. I may just need to be an old-time preacher to say, the world cannot give you what you are looking for. There's some theology that was said many, many years ago that is absolutely correct. And many of us are wandering around like Bono singing the U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Number four. The last one. Every shot, number four. This one's tough. A ruined soul uses the body as an anesthetic. The ruined soul uses the body as an anesthetic. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20. Paul's going to be dealing with sexual immorality, but there's a lot more to this, but listen to the pointedness of the scripture. He says this, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know, here it is right here, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. 
One more quote. The human body <clears throat> becomes the primary area of pleasure for the person who does not live honestly and interactively with God, and also the primary source of terror, torture, and death. So it is an obvious thing to turn to for those who worship and serve, as Romans would tell us, the creature rather than the creator. And because bodily enjoyment is what they want, what they choose to pursue, God abandons them to their pursuit of every pleasurable sensation they can wring out of the body, primarily sexual, for that usually gives the greatest kick. But bodily violence is a close second. This is the spiritual root of obsession with sex and violence. Yeah. Now listen to this last assessment. In decadent societies, this plays out in spades. In decadent societies, sex and violence. Because the ruined soul uses the body as an anesthetic. When my soul is wrecked and ruined, I need to feel something. Come on. I need to feel the passion that I once felt. I need to feel the excitement of lust. I need to make that purchase that I'm not able to actually afford because there's this weird dysfunctional piece in me that when I do it, it elicits fear and, and, and insecurity. And I don't know if I can do this. And there's an adrenaline rush. I know that these drugs destroy me, but it's the only way I feel. And just one more time, just, just, one more time, then, then I'll get it straight. But here's the thing, when my soul's not intact, I need the kick. Some of us have been on the verge of an affair that you never participated in, but you got up to the line. Why? Because it made you feel something. And you thought to yourself, I feel alive right now. And some of you are doing things in the darkness that you would never tell anybody. Why? Because it gave me a kick. I felt alive for a second. And here's the thing. This is what it means to look for the living amongst the dead. That outside of Christ, church, you have to realize that we are walking wounded. We are walking dead men and women. And I'm not trying to get overly depressive today and dark today, but we have to recognize this in order to be able to turn and see what is offered to us in and through Jesus. Yeah. Come on, if you know what I'm talking about today. This, this, is, this is really what it comes down to because many of us are not recognizing Jesus for what he actually is to us because we haven't made an assessment of how broken we really are. So no wonder it's really easy to be like, ah, I don't need Jesus. We don't. If we think everything that we do is awesome and I've got it all together and, and I, I'm, I'm impenetrable and I've got my force field up, of course we don't need Jesus. So we'll come to church as well because there the music gets me and I feel a little alive for a second, but I'm gonna walk right out of the doors and I'm gonna go back to every vice and I'm gonna go back to every broken relationship and I'm gonna go back to every fearful area that I live in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna crawl back to the dark places of the world that I live in. But if I recognize, if I look in the mirror right now and go, man, my soul is wounded and I need a savior. Can I tell you, friend, it is Jesus. He came, he died, he rose again. Why? So that you could have life. 
That's what life is. He comes in and he, oh, daughter, let me take care of that. Come close. And this is what he says, like the song. The guy who put his hands on you, it's got nothing to do with me. Let me be your father. Let me rescue you. Let me heal you. Let me put the ointment of my grace onto your soul. And if you would just come to me, I know you're weary. I know you're tired. I know you're heavy laden. I know that you haven't rested in years. I know your eyes are heavy and I know your shoulders are weak, but if you would just come to me, I'm telling you, you will be different and I will make you. And it's not gonna happen right away, but I will turn you into something better than you are now because I have a greater plan and I have a greater purpose and this doesn't have to define you and it doesn't have to make you and you don't have to keep on going back. Why? Because I've got something better. Come on, his name is Jesus. He's not a fairy tale. He's not a soothsayer, he's not a magician, he is God Almighty. Can we just lift our hands to heaven? Jesus. We humbly submit to you today that we are wounded. And so we give it to you today. We say, have your way. Work in our souls. God, for those of us who have marriages right now are predicated on woundedness, I pray that you would heal it in Jesus' name. For those of us right now, restless hearts, cynical eyes. We're using our bodies as anesthetic. God, would you heal our souls? Would you start the good work even today? In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around right now, if you put your hands down, we're gonna pray one more prayer. I know you're standing and you're gonna stand for the next little while, but... For those of you today who would say, man, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. If you're recognizing, that, that's me. I need the doctor of my soul. Make this your prayer today. It's a simple prayer, but it is the biggest and most powerful prayer that you will ever pray in your life. We're gonna do it all together today. Come on, as loud as you can. Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. I'm giving you everything. Amen. Giving you my past. Amen. Giving you my right now. Amen. Putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, and make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me and healing me that I may spend eternity with you. In Jesus' mighty name.